everyone, welcome to the Movie Scramble podcast. On today's show, you are joined by myself, John. Hello. And also the ever delightful Mary. Mary, how are you doing? Hello, I'm good. And I am so excited to be back podding again, talking more festival stuff and with you, of course. Cool, cool. As Mary just said, we are going to be discussing the Glasgow Film Festival again on this podcast. Festival ran between the 1st and the 12th of March. To record audiences, I believe you were told that the audience participation was up by about 25% based on some of the previous ones, which is excellent because it means people are getting out there and seeing films, which is all very nice. As I say, the festival ran for 12 days. There were lots and lots of lovely films spread across the GFT, Cineworld and the CCA. So what we're going to discuss here... We'll have a quick overview of the festival in terms of what our impressions of the festival were and also we're going to sort of pick our top three films that we both got to see, whether that was on the industry portal which we had access to. Thank you very much Glasgow Film for that. It was very nice to have or in person actually at the cinema with other punters which is still still a bit weird. And <laughs> I'm still getting back used to it, but uh, it's getting more and more like the norm again, even if you're sitting in front of somebody who uh, just masticates all the way through the film with uh, the big giant <laughs> bag of popcorn, which I got through 65 when I was watching that on Monday. Oh, no, no. But, you know, it didn't it didn't detract from it. As soon as the soundtrack kicked in, it was really loud. It was really just a sort of a background noise. So, yeah, yeah, can't complain. So, Mary, what were your impressions of the 2023 Film Festival in Glasgow? Well, first of all, just a wee shout out to all the volunteers in their lovely yellow t-shirts that I was quite jealous of because they were all <laughs> absolutely fantastic. I didn't catch the woman's name, but when I walked in to see the Alfred Hitchcock documentary and handed over my ticket, she went, are you Alfred Hitchcock? And I was like, not me personally, but I am here <laughs> for the film. And we had such a good laugh about it. Um, it was so well organised. There was obviously signposts everywhere, really clear. You couldn't miss where you were supposed to to be at what time and everyone was just really helpful and friendly and actually what I noticed when I was going into screenings was how much everyone was in a good mood they were really looking forward to the movie they were really appreciative of the introductions that the likes of you know Alan Hunter Alison Gardner or mm -hmm. Chris Kumar were doing before the films they were really looking forward to that little bit of extra insight and yeah I just I felt like it was back in full swing I don't think there was apart from maybe one or two I'm almost certain that every screening I went to was a sellout, as in you were sitting right next to someone, there was no gaps, the cinemas were all packed, and yeah, it felt like normal again, it was amazing. Yeah, it's quite good to see, especially since the Edinburgh Film Festival has obviously run into problems. Uh, obviously just recently announced that it will be back in a sort of shortened version, but this gave Glasgow the opportunity to showcase its film festival this year as the biggest in Scotland and probably the second biggest in the UK after London. Yeah. Now, the Edinburgh is no longer there and it obviously won't be there in the same sort of format. Well, we don't know what it's going to be like in the future, but yeah. it's been said it's only going to be back for about five, six days. I think it is very limited and it's going to be part of the festival. So, yeah, it was a good opportunity and I think they took it and ran with it quite well. All the pre-publicity for it was spot on there was a lot of stuff out there and social media and everything i listened to the kermode and mail 
podcast, take the take podcast. And yeah. on that, they have a small section where people can come on and well, they do like a 20 second clip and they talk about films or, uh, you know, something they, they, they're working on. And Alison Gardner did a 20 second clip for the Glasgow Film Festival. And it was really nice to hear that because oh, that's getting lovely. on there on, on the sort of national stage as well. And there was stuff... Yeah. Some of the films were reviewed in The Guardian and various places, so it did seem to get a bit of added publicity. There's usually something, would, but it was getting name-checked a, a lot more, I thought, this year. I would say so. I think one of the things that really, really helps is the fact that the Glasgow Film Festival Press and Industry Portal is tremendous. So usually what you find when you sign up for online only in the past few years for press portals is it's a small selection of films that they don't think are going to actually maybe perform well or get as big an audience or get a bigger review. I was really pleasantly surprised by the amount of films that were up for the audience awards that were on the press and industry portal. Lots of good, you know, documentaries, full length shorts, all that sort of thing. And actually, I think that's encouraged because I know a few people I've seen reviews on Twitter, people who weren't actually in Glasgow, but they obviously have access to the, the portal to do reviews. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been a big boost as well. And I think obviously recognising that you don't necessarily have to be at a festival in order to provide coverage. I think Glasgow have struck the balance really well in getting the the right amount of content on that portal, whilst obviously still wanting people to come and enjoy and soak up the, the atmosphere, yeah. which has been amazing. And I, I, I really hope other festivals learn from that. Mm -hmm. As part of the sort of the, the afters for the festival, they put a number of the films onto the public portal the yes. Glasgow Film Portal. So there's, I think there's maybe seven or eight films on there from the festival that are going to be on their portal for a couple of weeks that people can view at their own pace. Fantastic. And obviously yeah. they can find reviews for some of them as well. Quite a few of them on moviescramble.co.uk, courtesy of, yep, yep, hands in the air from Mary, <laughs> yep. <laughs> it, was, it was a busy few days. I can't remember the last time, you know, it's so funny, actually. I can't remember the last time I've seen that amount of films in such a short space of time and then having to mm. read my own notes back to myself and going, did I like this film? I can't remember. Yeah, it's, it's a perennial problem, isn't it? Yeah. So what did you think of the standard of film? Not any individual films, but just the sort of mm. standard of films. Basically, I'm asking this because I did notice that there were fewer films at the festival this year rather than previous pre-pandemic years. It, yeah. I would say maybe, probably maybe about 30 or 40 films shy of what they, they usually have. And I base that on the fact that every day there was the, the classic film on GFT1 yeah. and then there was nothing until say one o'clock in the afternoon at the earliest after that now what you got in previous years was there was films actually competing against that yes, half past I 10 films so you, would, yeah. so you would have things in gft2 three and probably cineworld as well there would be and then obviously the repeats of them as well because they tend to show these films at least twice mm. at festivals and it, that didn't seem to be the case now was that down to the fact that there are less films out there, which is a, an industry-wide problem at the moment. There's 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 content out there, but there's not the the content that there was. It's still mm -hmm. the industry still ramping up from its post-pandemic. A lot of stuff got put on hold and was cancelled, and it's only maybe in the last year that productions have actually been sort of back in full swing, mm -hmm. which obviously would affect both the 
high end of the market, your, your blockbusters, mm -hmm. your big movies, and smaller films as well. You know, yeah, of course. That's what that's what I kind of thought. It, it wasn't a fault of the the festival itself. They obviously got what they could get in terms of the the best films they could get. But you know, I, what did you think? Did you think it was what? What did you think of the quality overall? So it definitely was interesting because I did notice that when I downloaded the festival pdf where you obviously can plan out what you're going to see at what time usually in yeah. the past i've had to pick you know i've had to pick between oh, do i go and see this film at you know say half past five or oh am i going to make it if that film only finishes at you know quarter past five am i going to run down from one venue to the other and there usually is that choice to make whereas this year i was managed to i managed to coordinate my viewing where nothing was interrupting anything else and it, that felt strange i thought I, I did wonder if there was less content however I absolutely don't think that there was a lack of quality. I think that, mm -hmm. I mean, there are certainly films that I watched that I perhaps didn't enjoy, but I don't think that's the same as them as them not being quality films. I think everything no. that I saw was was excellent. And actually, there was a number of UK premieres, uh, European premieres, and a, a real host of feature-length debuts, and specifically feature-length debuts by women as well. And mm -hmm. I think it's really important that we use festivals for, you know, platforms for these type of artists and creators. So no, I wouldn't say the, the quality suffered at all, but I did notice that for me anyway, it looked like there was less overall content. But I don't think I don't think that's a bad thing. Film festivals can be stressful when you're trying to run up Sucky Hall Street from one end to the other to get to different <laughs> venues. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. It was interesting that the film festival coincided with International Women's Day as well. So they were able yes. to basically focus the whole of that day on, like you say, debut features by uh, yeah. female directors and stuff like that. So that that was interesting. Although my wife did point out to me that, yes, they do have an International Women's Day, but you also have a pie week. So why are pies <laughs> getting six more days than women? And uh, <laughs> and that was one that That's I just fantastic. didn't answer. I wasn't going to answer that one. <laughs> I don't think there is an answer to that, actually. I mean, probably yeah. not one that's uh, podcast appropriate anyway, but that's, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's brilliant. yeah. I, th there, there's no right answer for that. You know, you, no matter what, you're, you're you're going to end up getting some sort of abuse for, for what you say because it'll come out <laughs> as cheeky no matter what you say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a wise husband move just to go. Oh, yeah, yeah, I have definitely. no idea. <laughs> <laughs> He's going, oh, terrible. <laughs> so I thought we could take a wee dive into some of the films that we did actually see. So what sure. we've decided on is to come up with a top three each of the films that were screened at the festival. Now, from what you've said before, you've had a bit of problem with us, but not in a bad way. Yeah. So it's, it's nice when you've got too many to choose from. It shows that you had a good time. And I'd like to obviously point out the same as Mary that even if you watched a film, even though I watched a film and I didn't enjoy it, it's something that got made. You know, really? somebody sweated buckets to get this off the ground and actually get it made. And it's so difficult to actually make any sort of feature film. And everybody who's working on these films, especially in small independent films, they're they're on this night and day. It's it's almost like life and death for them because they're so passionate about it. And if you don't like it, it's usually down to the fact that it's, it's just not for me. It's not that it's a bad product because 
even if there's not really anything that you engage with, there's usually mm -hmm. a decent story in there. There's something, there's usually a spark of something that will you know will appeal to audiences somewhere. So, yeah, I think that's the case. And it's not really double standards or anything. You should just, you, you should just judge films by the fact that they actually got made in the first place, you know? It's, yeah. I don't say, it's so difficult for it to actually happen. So we should actually be pleased that we're actually getting the chance to see some of these things again because under normal circumstances i would say at least 80 percent of these films i would never see you know they would not exactly. be coming yeah, on I mean, they would not, not be on television yeah. yeah if you're lucky they'll come on a streaming service like movie they certainly mm -hmm. won't be on anything like it'd be very unusual for, for a lot of them to come on netflix or whatever mm -hmm. now if they start up a, a misery uh, streaming service <laughs> then yeah, they've, they've I think John, I think that's that. your key to, to early retirement. Just to create a wee <laughs> app, loads of loads of good festival misery porn on there, and there yeah. you go, that's it. Feeling happy? I can change your day. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Absolutely yeah. love it. So what is your first choice? Okay, so is this in any sort of numerical order? Or is this just no, just however, that... no, it doesn't need to be three, two, one. It's just whatever three you decide okay. on. Okay, so my first pick is a creation film called Safe Place, which I watched on the Press and Industry Portal, and I'm really glad I didn't watch it in a public space because I think <laughs> the sheep stopping that I was doing would probably make me a very annoying cinema gore for everyone else around me. So it's from writer-director Juraj Lorotic, who is again making his feature-length debut, and it's a sort of kind of autobiographical account of his own brother's rapid mental health decline, and he's cast himself in the film essentially as himself, and partnered with actor Goran Markovic, who plays a version of his brother, and it's all about how Demir, played by Goran Markovic, decides to end his own life. And it is extremely harrowing to watch. It's also really frustrating to watch because there's a lot of commentary on the sort of bureaucracy of trying to get someone mental health support. And there's a lot of really unhelpful doctors and psychologists and civil servants who are literally just there to, to push paper. And it's a film that I think does a, a tremendous job of portraying mental health issues not just for the person who's experiencing that but actually the people around them who are you know really really desperate to to save him and keep him alive and let him know that he is loved and I just thought it was incredible it it's a film that feels really sparse so all the colors out of it there's no score there's no a uh, non-diegetic sound it's literally there's huge moments of silence and really long pauses and it's just yeah it's like this quiet little you know personal trauma is going on meanwhile you know the hospital continues life in the town continues and actually that sort of stripped back lack of drama lack of histrionics you know lack of over-the-top portrayals of what it's like to have a mental health issue really just does it justice and I was completely blown away with it and really really emotional watching it and I think it's a tremendous piece of uh, filmmaking and what a debut. I, I can't believe that's somebody's, you know, first feature film. It's so personal. It feels so intimate. And yeah, it was just incredible. And as I say, I'm glad I watched it in the house because I was a sobbing yeah. mess by the end of it. So that is my first pick. No, good pick. I saw it as well on the portal and I 
totally agree with you. It's it's a frustrating film to watch because of what's actually happening in it and the the way that they're getting pushed from pillar to post by these people who are obviously all medical professionals and stuff, but you can see that they're at the end of their tether as well. They, they've been dealing with this sort of thing day in, day out. And it's like almost like the compassion's gone from them yeah, as well. Absolutely. But yeah, it's, it, was, it was a really nice start to that film as well because it was like two wee boys playing in the street. And it was quite a, a long shot, quite oh, far yeah, away. And you were wondering what's, what's going on, yeah. you know? And like the, the main character doesn't come into it until about, a minute into it and then you see him running across the street and even then you you don't know well, what's going on you know it's just yeah it's very good it's very very downbeat though very yeah. uh that's it's this is you know misery 101 really but yeah, yeah oh yeah i mean you have to be yeah. in a sort of i think good place to sit and watch something like this because i think even the ending really got to me because it's obviously it's meant to be like the kind of home movie and mm. the character of demir just looks so lost like everything's going on again so everything's going on around him and there are kids having fun and people are at the beach and he's just standing there just sort of staring into nothingness now it really really it, it got to me and I think that anyone who's had any sort of experience of trying to you know support a family member or a loved one or whatever where they're going through a rough patch I think there's you know the, a relatability element there but also just how incredible of this director to actually take his own obviously deeply personal experience and put mm -hmm. it out for everyone to to see and to understand and um, I don't know if maybe he's hoping to raise awareness or there was some sort of catharsis in it for him but it was certainly to me a really sort of as I say personal and very intimate piece of work and I absolutely adored it. Yeah I, th I think there's a lot of catharsis in it and that I think it's about 25 or 30 minutes into the film he has a conversation with his brother and his what brother is, and this is actually they're having a conversation about him making the film. Yeah. Because yeah. obviously, with the events that obviously happened afterwards, and he says, "Yeah, well, we sued the hospital and everything." <laughs> and it's like, yeah. whoa, you know, it's just oh, it's a, a a powerful film, and it's one that I think would have been very interesting to see with an audience, because, like yeah. you say, there's there's no sound or anything, nothing to distract you, so everybody would have been one of these films where everybody's really quiet and they're just concentrating on what's going on so yeah, yeah yep that was a very very good choice my <laughs> thank you okay my <laughs> my first choice is a film called americatsy which is oh, i missed this a... i wanted to see it yeah it was a pretty good film it's about uh, an Armenian man who, as a young boy, escapes the, uh, the Armenian genocide. And it's set in the early 1940s when Armenia was part of the Soviet Union. And mm. in order to try and get people back to Armenia, Stalin offered money to repatriate Armenians from all over the world because basically during the genocide they were scattered everywhere the ones that managed to escape so mm -hmm. Charlie who managed to be smuggled out of the country goes back because he's he wants to know about his his own history and his family and he's got this folk tune in his head that he keeps singing and he keeps stopping people saying have you heard this song before you know because he, he wants to figure out where in Armenia has relatives came from because all he knows is he's Armenian mm -hmm. so he arrives in the country and one of the first things he does is he sees like this big queue of people and they're all queuing for bread and stuff and there's like a sort of small riot 
building up and there's a small boy just about to get crushed. So he manages to get him, take him outside, basically saving him from any sort of harm. And it so happens that he's the son of the local Russian commander and the Russian commander's wife is there and she's all, oh, that's, you know, it's really good. Thank you very much. Thanks for your help and all that. And she says to her husband, you know, find him, find him a job, find him somewhere nice to mm-hmm. stay. He's one of the repatriated ones. But the husband's kind of jealous of the fact that this American guy has come out. Oh, sorry, I should have said he'd, he'd been living in America. So he's like sort yeah. of fully sort of Americanized, you know, with a, like a, a decent suit on and like nice ties and everything. So the Russian commander decides, no, I'm, I'm going to put him in jail uh, as an American spy. <laughs> Oh my god, I love it, I love it. So you get stuck in this American jail, uh, so you get stuck in a jail, forced to sign a confession in triplicate, (laughs) uh, (laughs) saying he's a spy, and he's just about to get sent off to, he gets put in, uh, it's called the icebox, it's just this room that uh, is really, it just gets really cold, and there's there's like loads of rubbish and stuff in it, and he's just thrown in there, and uh, he's just about to get sent off to Siberia, because it gets rid of them and it's out of the commander's hair. Then there's an earthquake and part of the wall of the prison falls down in various places. So they say, right, you're not going to Siberia, you're going to fix the wall. And from his room, he can see out in between like some bits of mist out on the wall into a, a house. You can see three rooms in a house, which uh, and in the house lives the one of the tower guards. And you get right his backstory he was a, a painter who was denounced for painting churches so but instead of getting put away because he, he was married to somebody who was high up in the party he was spared that and he has to work in the, the prison so he sees these people in their lives and basically starts it's almost as if he's a guest in their home and he starts following them and get involved in them and all that and it's all the ups and downs in their relationship and this is the, the basis of the story him sort of finding something to keep them going because the the prison life is brutal because they're worked really hard and then every Friday they get beaten up. It's a regular thing. <laughs> it's Potaski. They come into the, the, the cell and they go, it's Potaski and he goes, yeah, Potaski and he goes away and he comes back and he's all cuts and bruises and stuff. Oh uh, my and it's God. Just I'm laughing. I know it's horrific, but no, I think no. it's quite tongue-in-cheek. Oh, uh, the thing is, the, the film itself, it, it's full of like quite sort of light-hearted music his portrayal is quite light he's a very mm-hmm. likable character and he gets on very well with everybody and it's sort of this sort of fish out of water because he can't speak a lot of Armenian and so in that way it is kind of light but it's like totally brutal all these things that are, are happening to him and around him and sort of the conditions he's in and everything like that but even then it is kind of light and you see the sort of the best part of it and all that you know best part of all the people involved and things like that so it was actually a lovely film i really really enjoyed it i thought it was fantastic and i didn't expect it i thought i when i read the synopsis of it i thought this is going to be totally brutal this is going to be hard going it's going to be harrowing and it was nothing like that at all even like the color palette was sort of nice and you know it was a bit more colorful than you would expect for you know, a Soviet state in the nineteen forties. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So yeah, I it's definitely worth a go. That sounds excellent. I'm gonna see if that's a Glasgow film at home actually, because that sounds right up my street. That sounds really good. Yeah. I think that's one that might pop up in one of the streaming services because it, it would fit quite nicely and yeah. you know you know, something like Amazon, I think, something like that. So yeah. So 
choice number two? So I feel like I've gone for none of the fun, none of the fun stuff that I saw. Uh, the next choice I'm going to go for is a film called Plan 75. Um, mm-hmm. So this is, again, a feature-length debut from Chi Hayawaka. And it's a film that say, doesn't actually say when, which is interesting, but all we know is that Japan is financially crippled uh, and there's an ageing population who are starting to sort of draw anger from those who are young and still working. And so the government come up with this amazing solution, so-called, called Plan 75, and it's allegedly voluntary euthanasia for those aged 75 and over. So there's 100,000 yen in it for them if they do it. And, you know, they say they'll take care of all of your your funeral plans. They'll bury you or cremate you lovingly. And they'll make sure that, you know, your family are all supported. And you don't even need approval from your doctor or your family to do it. You can just (laughs) sign your own death certificate. And the story is basically told from three different characters. So there's Michi who's a 78-year-old woman who is working in a hotel as a housekeeper, but obviously suddenly finds herself unemployed. And obviously with no money, she's kind of struggling to keep up with her flat. You know, her friends are all very elderly and they're considering this Plan 75 because you can get a spa before you die. And then there is a Hiromu who works for Plan 75 and you see his sort of insidious sales technique as he's going around sort of chatting to elderly people, making sure that, you know, he's all glossy brochures and white teeth while he's getting them to sign up for this. And then there's Maria, who is a Filipino caterer who wants to send money back home to ensure that her daughter gets heart surgery and she moves from being a carer in a care home to working for the Plan 75 morgue, essentially, where she's rifling mm-hmm. through people's belongings. So I think what I really liked about this was the fact that it feels very real. So there's no sort of futuristic elements to it. There's no sort of sci-fi kind of like a dialogue or jargon or whatever. This genuinely feels like it's set in 2023 in Japan. And, yeah. you know, literally bumping people off on mass and of course as the film progresses you learn that plan 75 isn't all that it seems in terms of what they're promising people for their videos and what's actually happening and they're talking about you know lowering the age to 65 and it's just it kind of broke my heart a wee bit as well because the main character Michi basically it's almost like a sort of a story of her loneliness as well you know she her job is her social life she has no other sort of friends or family and when all of her friends decide, oh, actually, I would, I could use some money because I'm now unemployed because I'm over the age of 70, 75. I could use some money. I'll just sign up for this, this sort of scheme. She realizes she's on her own and her flat, you know, for all that they keep seeing in the news that the elderly have destroyed the economy. You know, she lives in this dingy little flat that's barely two rooms and, you know, a very frugal lifestyle. And as I say, no one to talk to and actually... She considers going for it purely because she has nothing and no one in her life. And to me, that's what was really scary about it. Because actually, you probably meet or know of or hear of a lot of elderly people who are just lonely and without Mm -hmm. a job and without family around them. It's that kind of loneliness and boredom that sets in that obviously makes some of these people consider, you know, taking their own life, essentially. And the sales techniques are hideous. Like you see a training set up where, you know, they're told oh, you can tell the customer they can opt out at any time, but really we do want them to die. So just make sure you keep the conversation going so that they sign up for it. And it's awful. It's absolutely awful. And again, I think, as I say, for me, the the thing that really made it sort of a fantastic film was the performances for starters, but also the fact that, as I say, this wasn't like a sort of soil and green type of thing where it's very sort of 
futuristic and set up that way or you know very stylized it was all very natural all very credible and I actually googled afterwards if it was a real thing because I was just so sucked into this story about you know basically bumping off all the old people it was a brilliant really good watch and I fin- again really fantastic feature length debut I mean so impressive and just yeah one of one of a real highlight of films that I've watched in the past year never mind the festival it was just fantastic sounds excellent shame I missed it I've, I've seen sort of some information about it and I thought it looked fairly mm-hmm. decent but I didn't think it was that good that's definitely one to look out for Definitely give yeah. that a go, yeah. yeah excellent. Yeah. My second film, and I know you wouldn't like this, is oh. the Cita, the Oh, okay. Italian I did not film. like it. it well, you, you kind of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is a film starring Penelope Cruz. It's set in 1970s Rome. She is a, a wife and mother to three children. And it's basically a bit of a domestic drama. She is a living mother. She doesn't actually, she doesn't work or anything. The, the father works all the time. Uh, he's more of a, it's almost like a, a stereotypical 1970s father who comes in mm. and expects the dinner to be on the table. They live in a beautiful apartment. It's absolutely gorgeous. And she spends her time with the children so they've got this routine where they basically have a lot of fun and they obviously got on very well together it's a cracking opening scene where the the children are having dinner and then they, they start dancing and singing and all sorts of stuff while they're getting all the plates out and everything it's an absolute banger of a tune called Rumori, yeah. which i'd never heard of before but it's now on my latest spotify playlist it. it's really really good it's a cracking sort of uh, 1970s Italian disco type thing. Now, obviously, the drama centres around her and the oldest of the children. Her and the fact that she's in this marriage where her husband isn't interested in her to the extent that he's actually more interested in his secretary. And th- th- at one point, the secretary turns up at the door and she basically, without really saying anything, she's, she lets her know that she's pregnant, she's going to have the husband's child and the Penelope Cruz character says, look, I can't do anything for you. I can't help you here. And inside of her, something kind of breaks a wee bit. She was kind of on the edge anyway, because I think she was dissatisfied with the way her life had been going. Not She doesn't hate her life because she loves her children and she loves the sort of energy that they have. And she's, she thrives on that and the way that they seem to bring out the sort of best in her but she kind of takes it a wee bit too far at times as well and she gets caught up in it and you see elements of her wanting to spend more time with the children even when they're with all their extended family she prefers the company of the children rather than the adults because the adults have become more sort of staid and boring now the other way to look at it is you know is it her that she can't integrate with adults and she can't function in an adult society. That's kind of reflected in the way that the the daughter, uh, Andre, or she wants to be called Andrew, so she dresses up as if she's a boy and she makes friends with a local girl from, oh, it's not, it's emphasised that it's not a travelling community, they're sort of so there's low the construction workers or yeah something like yeah it's like a wee sort of workers camp rather than mm-hmm. uh, a travelers camp 
and uh, they have a sort of it's almost like a budding romance but it's, it's a lot mm -hmm. of a friendship as well and it's really nicely done and it doesn't really go anywhere it doesn't get sexualized in any way which i thought was really nice it was all kind of dead pure and very sort of straightforward i just loved this film i, I loved the whole design of it the fact that it was everywhere was like bright and sunny and it made it made 1970s rome look lovely even though there's all this sort of drama going on at the same time which is actually quite dark and it gets very dark for her towards the maybe sort of the last act of the film it gets very dark and very real for her but even then still all beautiful clothes and you know going to holiday homes and all this sort of stuff so yeah i i thought it was a fantastic film i, I really enjoyed the, the main performances obviously it's penelope cruz you can't really go wrong but yeah you didn't quite connect with it yeah i thought it was I feel like there was two different films going on. So it's the story of Andre and her, sorry, their desire to be a boy. And then yeah. there's the story of Penelope Cruz's character quite obviously heading towards some sort of mental breakdown. And I yeah. felt like they were almost competing with each other. And I think that in a film that kind of sort of relegated Penelope Cruz to supporting role, to me that will always be a crime because she should be front and centre of everything. That's what didn't click for me. I loved the setting. I loved the the costumes. I loved the cinematography. I loved the big song and dance numbers. I live for that sort of thing. Like you know, any yeah. film where someone's going to burst into song, I'm so happy about. But yeah, there was something about it that I felt like the two narratives were almost competing with each other. And it was like they didn't quite know which storyline to make the main and sort of really sort of deep dive into. And for that, for me, just didn't quite click. That's not to say I didn't appreciate it visually. And this is what I was saying kind of earlier. There's not a film where even if it doesn't do anything for me, I can look at it as a piece of cinema and go, visuals were stunning. It made 1970s Rome feel sort of sweaty and sexy and all the rest of it. And I can appreciate, obviously, the performances. But, yeah, something just didn't quite click for me. Yeah, that's fair enough. I can I can totally understand that. It's, it can be that sort of thing. You either like it or you don't. And, again, a lot of what we talk about is opinion and personal preference anyway yeah. so i mean you know i'm not going to fall out with you about it but you know i might <laughs> i must admit as i you know i saw this i can't remember what whose description it was but it was like penelope cruz starts a bored housewife and i was like i'm in yeah. <laughs> i'm in i don't uh -huh. care what the rest of it is i'm in but yeah there was elements of it that i thoroughly enjoyed but as i say it was the kind of competing narratives that sort of made me sort of zone in as one out maybe more than I, yeah. than I wanted to yeah no totally get that so your third choice so I was going to be mean, <laughs> mm -hmm. like a movie that I know you really didn't like, but I decided to go with one that actually, again, I'm still thinking about. So I figured that's mm -hmm. a sign of a good film. And that is Alex Shad's Skin Deep, which is a German language film, um, which he co-wrote with his brother Dimitri Shad, who people might recognise as the undercover cop from Cleo that was on Netflix, which I really enjoyed. And basically the premise is that... Layla eh, and her boyfriend Tristan are going to this sort of slightly mysterious sort of midsummer-esque looking <laughs> kind of village eh, on the edge of nowhere because she is clearly depressed or in the middle of a depressive episode and one of her friends who is now living in the body of her dad has suggested that she comes to this retreat where essentially you can body swap with other people who are there. So it's a random lottery as to who you body swap with. They literally pick names out of a hat. And Leila and Tristan find themselves getting uh, paired up with another couple, Mo, played by Dimitri Shad himself, and Fabienne, uh, played by Mariam Zari. And 
Mo is an obnoxious dick who chews with his <laughs> mouth open. He wears burgundy flashy suits. He's got the, the medallion on. And Fabienne's this, you know, super cultured, refined, you know, looks hot as fuck smoking a cigarette type of wife. Mm-hmm. So they swap bodies with Layla and Tristan. And Layla, in her new body, suddenly discovers a new lease of life. I don't quite know how the science works, but she's no longer depressed. She wants to go out and run. She wants to make the most of her new body. She feels good for the first time in a long time. Whereas Tristan's having a terrible time because he is now Mo and he's devastated that his six pack has disappeared and it's been replaced by a hairy belly. And there is elements of comedy in it with the sort of body swap thing. But actually, I thought there was a lot of really interesting commentary on, you know, sort of this notion that if you could step outside of your own body, would you be a different person? Or what kind of form does, you know, healing take place in? And, you know, sort of this whole kind of experimentation with, you know, who are we? Are we the outer shell? Or are we the, what goes on inside us? This sort of like dichotomy between who we are physically and who we are mentally. So I really enjoyed it. The performances are absolutely excellent, especially because the characters aren't just playing themselves, they're playing whoever they body swapped with as well. So they're having to take on elements of the personalities of people who really only had about five or 10 minutes of screen time and then they then have to become someone else and make us make it very clear to the audience who they're being at that particular moment in time. Mm-hmm. So I just thought it was really interesting, especially because as Leila sort of progresses throughout the film, she is begging her boyfriend to stay there because she can't bear to go back into her own skin because she feels like all the problems will come back. So she actually body swaps with a Roman, a man, and then she essentially asks her partner Tristan to fall in love with her as a man. So it all gets a bit complicated, it all gets a bit interesting. But, you know, there's a line in the film where she says, you know, I've had a rough patch for as long as I can remember. I'm sick and I want it to stop. And there's this notion of if she could just step outside herself, it would stop. So it probably raises more questions than it actually answers. But I was so totally intrigued by this notion of what is wellness, what is healing, who are we, outer shell, inner shell, all that sort of thing. It's extremely well written. The performances are excellent. As I say, they're playing multiple characters at all times. And... Yeah, it just, again, it's, I'm still thinking about it. So that to me is a sign of a good film. And I won't lie, I was drawn in initially because Dimitri Shad is absolutely gorgeous and really funny in Cleo, which I fully recommend. But this really just took my breath away in terms of, oh, okay, this is a meditation on something a bit deeper. If you go into it and you don't know anything about it, the opening sequence is very confusing because mm-hmm. you have a man looking at his presumably dead daughter on the bed and going, Papa? you've died? And I was like, huh? <laughs> What's going on? But obviously explains it really, really quickly. And I think the it takes a, a lot for a script to explain a concept that's so complicated and make sure that the audience understands what's going on at all times, but you never feel right, out of the yeah. loop, which is a remarkable feat in itself. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. And that was my, my final pick. I've not picked any fun stuff this year, but these have just been so impressive to me that I, I couldn't not talk about them. Well, there's something to be said for films that are serious. They can be it can be fun in a different way, you know. Yeah, yeah it doesn't need to, need to be laugh out loud funny to be interesting. But that sounds like a really good choice. Hopefully, I'll get to see it again. I didn't manage to get to see that one during the festival, so yeah, it's good. I think that might be on Glasgow Film at Home because it was up ah, for the Audience Award. Right. Okay. Okay. I'll take a look at it. See if I can find it. That'll be very good. My final choice. I had a couple that I could have chosen here but my final choice I went for the civil dead which is uh pretty much a two-hander 
this film. It's about a struggling artist, he's a photographer called Clay, who is wanting to become famous and, you know, revered in art circles. But it just is he's a bit lazy, I think. Uh, so he gets the chance to do a wee bit of work uninterrupted. His wife goes out of town for a couple of days and basically all he wants to do is sit about and binge TV shows and eat stuff to the extent where he takes the, the mattress out of the bedroom and takes it through to the living room because there's only a television in the living room and he wants to lie what down genius. on the floor <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and watch the telly. But he, he gets a wee bit inspired and he decides to go out and start doing some sort of street photography. And he's taking some pictures and he sees a guy in one of the when he's taking the pictures and it turns out it's his one of his old friends, a guy called Whit. And he starts chatting mm -hmm. to Whit. He hasn't seen Whit for years and they've gone really well and everything. And he invites him back to the house. And Whit's a wee bit offhand, a wee bit strange. He won't take a drink or anything. He's he's not interested in doing that. But you know, Clay just sort of brushes it off, drinks too much, falls asleep, wakes up next morning. What's still sitting there, you know, just as if he's been there all night. And it turns out he had been there all night because Whit is a ghost and only Clay can see him. Whit died about three or four years before and he's been wandering uh, Los Angeles ever since and no one can see him. He can't go into how he can go places, but he can't touch anything. He can't open doors or anything like that. And he kind of gets us across to clay that he is and obviously clay believes him because mm -hmm. there's a, a scene where clay's talking to his neighbor and what is in between him and he's waving his hands and everything and the, the neighbor's none the wiser because he doesn't see him only he can see him and they basically spend a wee bit of time together and it becomes clear that Clay's just, he doesn't want to hang about with them anymore. But obviously, Whit wants to hang about with Clay because he, he's, he's found somebody that can actually talk to him and see him. So, and that's bas the basis of the story, the fact that they're having to reconcile the fact that Clay really wants to just go and do his own thing. But he, he yeah. feels as an obligation to Whit as well and has to sort of interact with him. So he says, right, we'll spend a week apart and then come back and we can decide what we're going to do and everything you know but i need a bit of space and it lasts one day before what's back at the door you know annoying him and all that doing ghostly things uh and it, it, there's there's a whole sort of third act where they, they go away to the mountains and like together to to do stuff and all that it's a really good film because it's just mainly just the two of them so it's their mm -hmm. interactions are the key to this film and the the back and forth between them is really good because the, the Clay character is really good anyway because he's like dead sort of slovenly and he decides he, he, he wants a sort of a, a different type of haircut and he sees this one. And it's one of these ones where it's all brushed forward, the sort of like almost like a Harry Styles, old Harry Styles type mm -hmm. of And he, he shows this to his wife and his wife goes, your hair's dead thin. It won't look like that. He goes, oh, no, and he cuts it and it's just this horrible bowl cut with, <laughs> with a mullet at the same time, you know, just... <laughs> Just this sort of crescent moon shape across his oh, forehead. No. Just... So there's these, there's lots of funny wee moments in it, things that yeah. he does, and and Clay's not a particularly nice person, but you you want to know what happens because it's such an unusual story. It's not something usually. If it's a ghost story, there's some sort of you know, there's a supernatural there's a element to it as well as yes. the why they're there. Yeah, yeah. there's nothing like that. It's just 
he's become a ghost and he walks about. And there's none of this, you know, if we do this, then I can ascend to a higher plane mm-hmm. because Whit doesn't know what's going on either. He just knows nobody can see him and he died. And that, that's I it. I quite like that, though. I quite like the fact that there is no explanation. There's no explanation yeah. as to why he can see him, why he's a ghost. Oh, I, I quite like that. Yeah, so it was a pretty decent film. And again, it was quite a short one. I think it was like about 90 minutes long. So yeah. it kind of zipped by quite nicely. Very sort of lo-fi filmmaking. There was yeah. wee bits and pieces of music, but there wasn't like a, a, an awful lot of score in it and all that. So it was all down to the script and the way that the, the two main actors sort of got it across to each other. So yeah, it's impressive stuff. It was nice. That sounds excellent. Mm-hmm. I'll like to try and find that because that sounds again. That seems like something I would really enjoy. So yeah, yeah. Good. Ah, it, was, it was pretty good. It's pretty good. So I'm intrigued. What was the one that you thought you weren't? <laughs> you were going to choose? Um, I like movies because I know you really oh, didn't like yeah. the central yeah. character. But I swear, if you go back to yeah, I mean, he's every film dick you've ever met, right? You know, mm-hmm. somebody who. You know, I don't want to sell Shrek DVDs. I want to talk about Paul Thomas Anderson. I totally get that because at first, I mean, I went to see it in the cinema mm-hmm. and it was actually because there was lots of people who were laughing and really like getting on board with it. And at first, yeah, that character did really annoy the shit out of me. Cause I was like, oh God, that's why people hate the film community because it seems really exclusive and up its own arse. But as the film progresses, there's so many really kind of powerful moments. You understand sort of why he is this, it's almost like a suit of armor. It's a protective thing. Basically, yeah. be a dick and no one will be a dick back. Really, really loved it. And again, a feature like debut. I thought the performances were great, and it did really, really make me laugh. But there's also a couple of sort of quick punches in there about commentary again about the industry itself, particularly how the industry treats women. And I did really enjoy it. But I did know that you had said that you really didn't like the main character, and I totally yeah. I actually I did stop watching it, so I probably should have kept going because I stopped watching it at the point where it was him and his friend, and they were in the the bedroom, and he says, "Well, you're you're not really a real friend; you're more just oh, a, a placeholder yeah. until yeah. I, I meet my real friends when I go to college." And I thought, "Oh, that <laughs> you know, was just rough. on top of everything else." Was... I thought, "Oh, you know. yeah," but I think, yeah, based on your review of it and your obvious uh, love of it, then I would. Probably go back and watch it again, given the chance. I'll give it, I will give it a second chance if I see it out there. It's definitely, I think, like Skin Deep, it's doing a tour of festivals just now. So it's interesting again to see that, you know, great that Glasgow's actually had a few premieres of, of films mm-hmm. as well that are now making their way onto other festivals as opposed to, yep. you know, being the sort of last in the circuit. So, yeah, I think it's definitely one that's going to, it, it seems like perfect streaming service content. Yeah, I would say so as well. Yeah, I would quite get with that. So that is our coverage of the Glasgow Film Festival. As I say, it was 12 days. There was an awful lot of good stuff there. There was, like Mary said, a lot of premieres. There was a lot of interest. There was lots of, uh, apparently there was a a good few Q&As as well and celebrities turning up and, you know, can't fault it. So I take it you enjoyed the festival then, Mary? 12 days of absolute bliss. Roll on 2024. Yes, yeah, that will be particularly good, I think. So the film festival in 2024 now, trying to see if I've got anything. I don't think anything's been announced yet. Has it not been announced yet? Okay, right. That would make sense because it would have popped up. But it will be around about the same time in 
next year, I would imagine. It's yeah. usually the end of February, start of March, just depending on the yeah. dates. It was particularly late this year, just the way that uh, the calendar seemed to work. So, yes, roll on the next one. So that's us for today. As usual, you can get us on the normal social media channels, usual Facebook, etc., etc., at Movie Scramble. You can send us an email at podcast.moviescramble.co.uk. We would love to hear from you. If you are listening to this on a podcast app, please give us a review, give us a star rating. It really helps with getting our podcast out there and getting it in front of more people, whether they listen to it or not. It's out there and it's, it's, it's nice to get a bit of feedback as well and let us know what we're doing right what we're doing wrong now if what we're doing wrong is psych the male presenter then we, we may have to, <laughs> never, <laughs> we have to revise never. that opinion uh, <laughs> but yeah so it would be it would be lovely to hear from you uh, in some capacity so we will be back shortly we are back in the saddle so to speak in terms of yes. podcasting we have some interesting podcasts lined up we are going to be continuing with our Hitchcock marathon and we are going to get back into reviewing more current releases as well since we all seem to be back at the cinemas a wee bit more and we're actually yeah, getting to see a few more things so that'll be very nice I'm looking forward to chatting about a lot of stuff especially I think John Wick 4 may be on the horizon for us because oh, yes. our very first podcast was John Wick 3 so uh, oh, a, that would be, a nice be so one today. That would be yes. lovely. Yeah, that'd yeah. be good. So it just shows how long we've been going as well. You know, wittering on for the best part of three years. So yes. Um yeah, so that's it from us. I'd just like to thank you for the Indonesia lug holes for another night. And I shall see you later on. Goodbye. <laughs>